Welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our Thursday deep dive episode. And today we have an interview with Zippy Capital and we're talking Camplify. Uh, pretty interesting company. Uh, it's a concept that I think a lot of people will like. Uh, it's a marketplace for RVs, which uh, he gets into. But do you have any highlights from the interview? Yeah. And I should clarify, it is called Camplify Holdings, ticker is CHL. I know it's difficult to find a company like this. It's listed in Australia. So just to hopefully help out any listeners that possibly would be interested in the company. Favorite part for me, discussing how they have a defensible position uh, versus competitors. I think that was my favorite part because that's the big question for someone that's smaller like this, who has kind of the runaway lead in a new and growing market. But how do they hold that position similar to a marketplace like Airbnb has? Over the last decade, um, he gave some great examples about how that would be true. Um, we go through valuation work. We go through their unit economics, all around great episode. I came away understanding how Campify's business works. I think anyone listening will as well. All right. And before we get to the interview, we want to talk about our sponsor, Stream by Mosaic. They are an expert interview transcript library, uh, and they are and I think expert transcripts in general can be a useful staple in people's processes, especially for individual investors. Um, and they have companies from all industries. So uh, tech, consumers, industrials, real estate. Very robust library. Yeah, uh, exactly. And there's uh, they provide 300 expert interviews each week. 70% of their experts are found exclusively on stream. And uh, I know I've already said this, but we used to use these a lot. We have, uh, I guess, done less so in the past just because it's we haven't really added that many new companies lately uh, to our personal portfolios. But it's a very useful tool because you really do get a lot of color and commentary that most management teams might not offer up. You might get something from either employees that used to be at the company um, and just just stuff in general that I think provides a lot of helpful insight. So go ahead, check them out at streamrg.com. That's the best place to find them. If you, you, if you sign up, you can get their 14-day free trial using promo code CCM. Um, and yeah, uh, feel free to check it out. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right. Today we are welcomed by Zippy Capital. Uh, met him through Twitter. Brett actually arranged this one. Uh, so he kind of did a lot of the DMing here with Zippy. Uh, and we're talking about a name that is probably unfamiliar to most investors. I did not know what it was going in, but uh, it's a very interesting model. So do you want to kind of start with that? What does Camplify do? Um, and can you just explain the business? Yeah, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. Been uh, listening, so it's kind of kind of cool to get uh, be on as a guest. Um, but Camplify is a two sided marketplace facilitating peer to peer sharing of RVs or recreational vehicles. Uh, the easiest way to think about this business is basically it's Airbnb for RVs. Uh, so the company was founded in 2014 and is based in Australia. 
Uh, but since then, they've expanded in New Zealand, UK, and Spain, and probably more uh, European countries, uh, you know, coming. Uh, so, you know, this, I would say this company is pretty different than the ones you guys typically cover on the show. Uh, first of all, Camplify is listed in Australia uh, on ASX. It IPO'd pretty recently, June 2021. Um, and it's also a micro cap. So the market cap uh, today is $145 million uh, Australian dollars. So that's about like $100 million uh, USD. Um, so, you know, obviously just, just before I get into more of the details, like that's, you know, based on th- those two facts, it, it's going to be a volatile stock and that definitely comes with risk. So definitely do your own due diligence on this one. Uh, how I'm thinking about Camplify is I'm basically trading as like a venture type investment. In the U.S., these type of companies, uh, you know, they did eight million dollars Australian dollars uh, revenue uh, in 2021. I mean, these would probably be in the private markets for much longer than they are um, in Australia. And so, uh, for me, um, it's it's an exciting opportunity for us public uh, public market investors to get a chance to invest in such a high growth company. And so uh, they've basically put up over 100% uh, revenue growth the past few years. Uh, but aside from just the growth, there's a lot of characteristics uh, of the company that I'm looking for kind of in a micro cap investment. And I'm sure we'll get into the details uh, of the business, the unit economics. But for me, the thesis is basically this is they have a really highly reviewed product in a space, RV rentals, that's... Uh, traditionally had very low customer satisfaction, availability is bad, hours are bad, like it's just customer service isn't great in this space. So uh, they're kind of uh, offering a very uh, cost effective and high quality alternative to that. Uh, the CEO is the founder, which I always like to see. He owns 14% of shares. He's the second largest shareholder. So definitely have a lot of alignment there. Um, the addressable market for this is huge. We'll get into that. They have very favorable unit economics. Um, and the product scales really well, like I said, over 100% growth, uh, three-year Kager, and they can clearly expand in different geographies uh, pretty quickly. So um, that's kind of a quick overview uh, of, of Capify and kind of what I think the the investment thesis is for this Australian company. Okay. And I have a we have a few more questions. We'll get into the business itself, but what's the ticker for anyone that may be interested? Yeah, I probably should have, should have mentioned that. Ticker CHL. Uh, so um, chl.ax uh, sometimes uh, that that'll be the ticker. Listen, yeah, yeah. yeah, micro caps are harder to find, so I thought I'd point that out. And I think before we get into unit economics, people are envisioning it like Airbnb and just as like a two-sided marketplace on the internet, exactly like that. How can you go through how a customer would come to them, and then how a supplier of RVs would come to them, and what the relationship is with Camplify? Yeah, so that's why I love the Airbnb comparison because it's it's pretty similar, right? So um, if you're a RV owner, uh, you paid a lot for a expensive asset, right? You're not using it all the time, obviously. Uh, in fact, in Australia, the average RV owner only uses their vehicle for about 41 days in the year. So for the vast majority of the year, it's kind of sitting in your driveway, just you know, collecting dust, right? So if you're an owner and you want to kind of monetize this very expensive asset uh, that's sitting around most of the time, you would go to uh, you would leverage a platform like Camplify to monetize your asset and rent it out to people looking for 
in an RV vacation or camping trip, right? Um, so that's kind of the mindset from the owner standpoint. From the the renter standpoint, uh, these are people looking they looking to have an RV holiday, right? They maybe can't afford an RV on their own because they they are quite expensive, or uh, maybe they just want to try it for a few days or a week, right? They want to see what that RV, that van life is about. So uh, you would go on the platform and you can kind of uh, select, you know, your times, locations, uh, pick up, have it towed to you. So there's, it makes it easy for you to go on a RV trip uh, without kind of owning an RV. And um, the CEO, Justin Hale says, you know, his idea for the company was basically, you know, his wife told him, hey, she never went on a uh, kind of an RV uh, vacation. And so they were walking around the neighborhood and like, just saw so many RVs just sitting in the driveway. And, you know, despite the fact not owning an RV themselves, they were, able, you know, he was thinking, hey, maybe, uh, you know, wouldn't it be smart for these owners to rent out their vehicles so people like us could go on a, you know, RV holiday, right? So, uh, and it's very core. Cool. It's connecting um, kind of uh, these owners that look into uh, rent out and monetize their asset that sits around and, and RV uh, renters that uh, cannot afford to uh, own RV or don't want to own that because there is a lot of storage and maintenance costs associated with that. So, um, in, in general, the RV, I guess, rental marketplace is actually quite uh, supply constrained. So it, it can be really hard uh, to find a suitable RV kind of in your traditional RV uh, rental marketplace. So that's where Campify really solves the problem, um, connecting the two parties. Uh, and so it's kind of a win-win for everyone. Okay. And when, so that leads us into the unit economics and how the business actually works. When people spend money on Campify's platform, how does it flow through to the actual company and how do they make money off of that? Um, so I would say uh, they, they earn revenues kind of like a typical marketplace, right? They take a take rate off of the transaction volume on the platform. Uh, very similar to you know, like your Etsy's and your Airbnb's, right? Uh, so in this case, uh, Campify makes uh, charges a 15% fee to the renter a different feat to the owner, which depends on uh, different factors. And then they also offer kind of premium memberships, which gives you different perks like marketing services, uh, elevated insurance, reduced commissions and things like that. Um, so the first revenue stream would be these fees, um, these booking fees, member, and the second one would be memberships. And the third one would be kind of like, I, I basically call them like ancillary services, like they'll they have an online store for RV accessories, for example, right? They, they also sell GPS tracking subscriptions. They're also acting as a middleman between RV manufacturers and buyers, which is kind of facilitating the actual sale of these vehicles. So I would say that, you know, the third segment is just these different services that make, make it easy uh, to be an owner on the platform, I would say, but they're monetizing that. So, um, the booking fee, the membership, and these other ancillary services combined, they're actually, their take rate is quite high. They, they made a 26% take rate in fiscal 21. And so when you compare that to uh, these, some of these marketplace companies, that, that is a very, um, very healthy rate. And I think the membership really is something that's, uh, that it definitely helps that. Um, and one note on the memberships, you can actually, you can't, you're allowed to uh, rent, uh, lease your RV on the platform for up to 45 days, but 
past that point, you have to get a membership. So about a third of the RVs uh, by my latest, uh, one of the latest reports, about a third of the RVs um, on the platform are covered by membership. So that's kind of a way to, for them to protect their, uh, build a moat, right? And make sure that their RV owners are loyal to the platform because like I said, it is a pretty supply constrained market. Uh, and so retaining and, and attracting those owners are pretty important. Um, you, you asked about the unit economics, um, kind of prepare like a typical, like a, an example, just to, to make it easy for people to understand. So on the cost side, uh, in the prospectus, they said that it costs about $100 to acquire an owner, um, an RV owner to, you know, that's kind of their marketing expense to get an RV listed on the platform, right? So $100. They said the uh, the customer acquisition cost for a hire or renter is about $10. So the kind of cost for like the, the customer is like $110, right? On the, on the revenue side, uh, the typical booking is well north of a thousand bucks. But for my example, I'll just say the typical booking is a thousand. Uh, it's actually increasing and it's higher than that. Uh, their take rate is about 26%, right? So you t- that's 260 right there. Um, their gross margin for this, this segment is, is 85%, uh, give or take. So if you think about it from that standpoint, you do the math. The contribution margin from a booking is basically around you know 225, but the customer acquisition cost is 110, right? Uh, and that's just one booking. So in one booking, they're making 225 in margin off of uh, with a two x payback on the marketing expense, right? But I mean, once you get an owner on, they're not just going to lease it out once. They're actually you know they want to they want more business, right? So about half of the owners actually say they. They've earned more than five thousand bucks, and like I said, a third of the owners have that premium membership. Where the average uh, RV owner on that premium membership earns close to uh, ten thousand dollars a year. So you put that together, it's pretty attractive, um, just from a lifetime value to uh, customer acquisition cost standpoint. Now that, that's a kind of a popular metric among you know these type of marketplace companies, and I would say. Uh, you know, that's, pr- I always say it's close to best in class from a uh, unit economic standpoint. How many, they're called hirers, right? I think that's what I heard you say. How many hirers are on the platform? Um, I got to look that one up. No worries. Uh, yeah. The, the, I think the Aussies use different terminology terminology than we do. Cause you know, for us, it's like renters, but all their filings and disclosures say hires. Uh, here we go. Cumulative hires, they're up to 70,000 in FY21. Uh, okay. So, and that's 171% Kager in the last four years. So, pretty, pretty high growth there. Right. And they have started from a small base. It's still a very new company. And that leads mm-hmm. to the next question. They estimate that they're only at 1% or less of the RV market share in its home country, Australia. And I'm assuming in all the other countries, it's a lot less as well. What sort of addressable market do you think they are going after? And how do they get to say, I mean, is it a clear path to getting 5% market share in all these markets? Yeah, I think that's the beauty of this, right? Like you, you, you don't need to capture like that much market share to make this a viable thing down the road. And so in Australia, there's 750,000, give or take, registered RVs. But like I said, not all of them are being available to rent. A lot of them, you know, people don't want to rent it out. They say idle, that's fine. Like not everyone wants to lease their 
you know, let strangers uh, ride their vehicle, right? So, uh, you know, 750 in Australia, they have less than 7,000 in total on the platform. So forget about all their other markets. That's like just still under uh, 1% if uh, in Australia. But uh, I think I mentioned they, they have operations in, in New Zealand. Uh, they're in the UK. They're in Spain. Uh, they're looking to expand more uh, globally. So uh, honestly, the addressable market is quite large. Uh, when I looked at it, just from a you know RV annual RV expenditure standpoint, uh, the the EU, Australia, and New Zealand combined was close to forty billion dollars in kind of annual RV expenditures. Uh, this company did or thirty eight billion Australian dollars. Uh, this company did eight and a half Australian dollars revenue in 21, 2021. So, I mean, I think it's pretty it's pretty early at this point, uh, but. Uh, the beauty is they don't really need to capture too much market share to continue their growth trajectory, if that makes sense. Right. And is this one of those where similar to Airbnb, when more, and I guess I have I have to use an investor term here, more liquidity comes on each year to the marketplace. Do you think the business will get better and better for customers over time? I know it's not really like sort of a network effect, but kind of not. Uh, do you think that will help improve the business and maybe keep revenue growing at a high rate for, for, uh, for the next decade or however long? No, actually, I think you hit it on the head. Like uh, there definitely are network effects. Um, when you're logging into the platform and you type in the city you want to visit and there's no RVs listed, like you're right. going to turn off the platform. Right. So the beauty is in Australia, they have 1% of the RVs on their platform, less than 1%. Right. But they're already the, by far the biggest player in the country. So out of all the peer-to-peer networks, they, they have the most RVs listed. And that definitely is a big advantage. Um, early on, you know, they spent a lot of time like going to these RV trade shows. They spent a lot of time really trying to understand the consumer from an RV owner standpoint, right? Because the CEO knew like this is a supply-constrained marketplace. So let me focus on getting uh, owners on the platform with their RVs and I don't really need to work that much on the demand generation because there's such an imbalance where supply is just so low. Um, so that's how they approached it. And, and uh, I mean, even when you think about the traditional like RV uh, rental players in Australia, you know, the biggest one has a fleet of less than 1500. So like, it's not a lot of options, right? And they're also limited by hours. Like the, the retail locations only you know, operate for you know so long. They're only in certain places within the country. So, um, so yeah, there's definitely a network effect in play, uh, and I think it's it's mostly just having uh, you know as much liquidity, like you mentioned, on, on the platform. And and they've gotten there in Australia. In the other markets, they're obviously working toward that liquidity, but in Australia, they're the clear number one. Do you you mentioned the CEO? Do you know like? what his background was uh, like, I don't know. Did he have a career before Camplify? I'm kind of curious who he is. Yeah. So he had a career before Camplify. He, um, he actually, they came up with the idea. He came up with the idea at a kind of one of those, you know, startup weekends, right? You guys are, you know, in Washington, you're Seattle, Microsoft. I'm sure you guys have seen those kind of tech startup weekends where, right. Uh, like you basically get together, come up with an idea and try to, you know, uh, put together a, a business plan and see if you can commercialize it. So that's actually how the company was founded. 
but uh yeah i mean he's he's worked kind of um let's see here he's worked at different technology companies throughout his career so uh it's his first company that he's founded uh but he's relatively young and you know when i was doing due diligence of the company he you know he did a lot of podcasts early in in the company's history and you can tell he's very entrepreneurial um uh and and uh really lets his team uh uh lets his team kind of contribute to the to the growth of the company and um in my email interactions with him he's pretty you can tell he's thinking about the business uh very intelligently so uh yeah first time founder but i don't really think that's kind of a, a knock on him he's you, right. you know he's definitely got that entrepreneurial spirit what uh if you can disclose what did you ask him when you emailed him i mean you know most mostly about um how he's thinking about expansion right some some other uh more technical questions uh on the financials um uh but uh yeah he's he's really uh, he's got a very good business uh mindset in my opinion uh and, and kind of being a asx listed micro cap you have to you, you're also function as investor relations right so when you, when i reached out to investor relations like it's not like somebody you know some IR person got back to me, it was like the CEO <laughs> responding, right? So that is one cool thing about these um, smaller companies, especially in Australia, because they're used to kind of like a, uh, a retail investor base, um, uh, uh, contacting them and communicating with them. So, um, so yeah. Yeah, that is, that is kind of cool that the CEO is uh, so accessible. Uh, another question. So you mentioned that expansion, uh, and right now, I don't have they made any moves into European countries or the U.S. I guess. Uh, what do you think is the opportunity there, and then what do you think is the like logical next place to go? Yeah, so um, in their fiscal nineteen, they they launched in the U.K. Um, in fiscal twenty, they went to New Zealand, and then in twenty one, they started in Spain. So. Uh, the Australian domestic market is actually quite large uh, in terms of like, RV vacations. Uh, people in Australia like to get outdoors and, and explore and have fun. Uh, so it's actually a quite, quite a large domestic business. Um, UK makes a lot of sense, uh, English speaking, right? Also a pretty, pretty, uh, pretty big uh, addressable market. New Zealand is pretty obvious because they're neighbors. Uh, and then Spain was kind of one where, okay, it's a different language. Could they, you know, that's kind of be, going to be interesting to see how they work there, but also very, very uh, healthy kind of RV culture and, and market there. But overall, in terms of expansion, I think Europe is definitely the place where they're going to be growing. They have an operations center in Portugal. So um, uh, out of there, they, I, I'm pretty sure they can serve the EU market, uh, EU and UK market uh, pretty well. but. Uh, from what I see, you know, the, you want to look for uh, countries where uh, there probably is a supply and demand imbalance, right? There's not a big maybe RV rental traditional player in there. Uh, maybe there's not a well-developed peer-to-peer uh, competitors in there because, like you mentioned, Brett, like the network effect is important. If you're starting from zero, it, it's a little bit difficult, right? So um, I think they'll be smart about selecting which markets to go into in the in the EU. Um, and then a little bit closer to their home, they're they're actually uh, announced an acquisition 
uh, of the number one uh, and two brands in New Zealand. So after that closes, they'll be the number one peer-to-peer player in New Zealand, which is pretty good too because they Australia and New Zealand have a lot of cross tourism, and it's it's a very it makes total sense uh, there. So. Um, I, I, yeah, definitely very early days for them and uh, a bright future ahead. Okay. And this is something people are probably thinking of because it, I'm thinking it impacted it in some way, but how has the pandemic impacted their business, either pos- positively or negatively? Yeah. You know, it's, well, first of all, their, their business results were fantastic last year. Um, and just thinking from a 2019 to 2020 standpoint, they grew their top line, you know, 127% CAGR and their take rate significantly went up a few percent each year. Right. So I think it would be unfair to say that they were like a, uh, I mean, they definitely benefited from the pandemic in a way, uh, you know, people couldn't leave Australia. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but Australia had a pretty strict lockdown. Um, if you follow tennis, like, you know, what's going on with Novak Djokovic, Djokovic and um, it's uh, I think domestic tourism definitely I think got a boost from that because you want to be outside RVing uh, camping is a very uh, safe way to spend your holiday uh, and so similar to US right RV sales were going pretty crazy during the pandemic so in one way you could argue they were a COVID beneficiary uh, on the flip side though the international tourism like went to zero in Australia so. In terms of total tourism expenditures, the international portion is about a third of their overall kind of tourism industry. So a third of that business just went away. And so in that way, they definitely got hurt. Um, uh, so, I mean, it's hard to say, in my opinion, I think their business results are were pretty strong. But I mean, I always just kind of wonder, like, okay, if Australia was open, if there was no pandemic, like could they have even scaled and grown even faster in their domestic market? And we just don't know. So I think the the stock, if you look at the stock chart, it's definitely taken off since it's IPO'd and it's correlated with the reopening of Australia because people, investors are anticipating a massive pent up demand from not only Australians, but also opening of a, you know, travel bubble with New Zealand and then maybe even more, um, uh, more international uh, arrivals uh, outside of um, just New Zealand. All right. I think that's all the questions we have for the first half. We're going to hit a quick ad break and then we got more on the back half. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning... Get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. As a business leader, how can you innovate, build trust, and move forward in a digital era? KPMG can help by bringing together the right talent and technologies, generating insights that spark opportunities. To explore their thinking, visit read.kpmg.us slash opportunities. Okay, welcome back in. Next, we kind of wanted to touch on the valuation. So we covered the business a lot in the, uh, <clears throat> in the first half of the show. And I think the, it's pretty easy to grasp, I guess, the model. Um, but the stock trades uh, at a 
a sales multiple of around 18, if I'm not mistaken. So I guess with that multiple, what do you think needs to happen to make this a good investment over the long term? Yeah, I mean, from a valuation standpoint, I don't think anyone can say this is a cheap, cheap stock, right? Um, 18 times trailing earning, uh, trailing sales. Um, but on a forward basis, uh, I mean, they're expected to more than double their, their revenues. So, you know, on a forward basis, the sales multiple is about nine times, which which makes it definitely more palatable, especially when you compare to more mature businesses uh, like an Airbnb or an Etsy um, that are growing at much slower rates. Uh, so, yeah, no, I mean, there's no no other ways about it. It's an expensive company if you buy traditional measures. Um, but, uh, I mean, this company could go 120% growth, 200, 250, 300, then your multiples really, you know, start going down, right? So it, it's tough to say. I don't like to think about it just from a revenue multiple standpoint. Uh, they have healthy gross margins. Uh, I mentioned kind of just the... The uh, main business, the marketplace business, is an 85% gross margin business, right? Now, when they do the van sales, it kind of muddies things because they're making a small percent on, you know, uh, just facilitating that. So, you know, the gross margin gets dragged down. And, the, and then on the membership side, uh, they kind of got in tr- not in trouble, but uh, margins were a little bit lower than probably what they wanted as insurance rates rose. So, but I know they've priced for that. So, um, at the core of it, like you could probably long term, once it scales, think it's a uh, you know seventy five percent plus like gross margin profile. Um, so what's what's the price? What's the multiple you're willing to pay on a company that's growing over one hundred percent at seventy five percent gross margins? You know, once they scale, what what does that look like? Maybe twenty five percent EBITDA margins or high, probably higher. Uh, so I think. It's just so early. I mentioned earlier, like I'm thinking about like a like a VC type investment. And to me, for what will make this a good investment is continued growth. That top line just needs to keep growing. Everything, you know, that leverage from a SGNA standpoint starts to, to really show when you when you grow that top line. Um, and what's gonna fuel that top line growth is because it's supply constrained, right? The market's supply constrained, it's gonna be RV growth. They need to keep adding RVs on the system consistently, not only in Australia, but every single market. So um, before they announced the acquisition, I thought, okay, like that's like literally I have to keep marketing uh, and getting spending marketing and going to the road shows and getting new owners, but they could also do it toward ac- uh, through acquisition. And the multiples they paid to get uh, the business in New Zealand were pretty attractive. Um, uh, and so perhaps there's companies that uh, can't make it and they, they can be the uh, acquire. Um, but yeah, RV growth needs to be there. They got to expand, uh, continue to expand in the EU. I think this only really gets interesting from an investment standpoint, uh, especially as American, right? If, if this is a global story, right? So like, I don't think anyone's going to be like, excited if it's, it's just, constraining to Australia, New Zealand. I'm sure the domestic investors there would be, but I don't think it's that exciting for us. Um, but the good thing is, I mean, they're they're definitely on their way to uh, a global uh, kind of mindset. Uh, like I said, they're in the EU. And then, you know, in the annual meeting, like the word global just was said so many times. So it's a company, I think, with, with global ambitions. And um, we'll just have to see how they execute in the EU. Um, and then last, I think they, they just need to st- stabilize their cash flows, right? Like they can't be burning cash. Uh, they need to, 
kind of maintain a long runway without having to dilute shareholders. Uh, and so uh, they did raise, they did uh, do an offering to, to make the acquisition. I think the market kind of was okay with it. Um, but yeah, they're definitely uh, to stabilize the cash flows. Uh, it, it's funny how this business works is when you make a booking, you're actually placing a deposit when you make the booking, right? So it's, it's probably going to happen where they consistently have like negative working uh, capital because they're getting money in from the deposits faster than the money's going out. So um, I could see a scenario where a few years from now, we're like, they're not quite there from a, you know, operating our EBITDA or net income uh, positive, but they are kind of not burning cash. So um, yeah, for, but in summary, I kind of rambled on, like they just need to keep growing. That's, that's going to solve everything. The, uh, how are they, do they have any debt on the balance sheet? You mentioned that they did an equity raise, that kind of their number one financing source. Yeah, no debt. I mean, they took some, a small COVID uh, kind of loan in the UK, but that's paid off. So no debt. Okay. All right. And that leads us into competitors. You talked about a bit of this US stuff like that. I think the key question here is why are they going to win in their current markets? And then can they compete with the main competition in the US? If I ask more of a future question, but could they compete with the main competition in the US, which is outdoorsy? Yeah, I guess I'll answer the second part of your question first. Um, I, I don't know if they can compete with them in the US, but what I do know is Outdoorsy could not compete with them in Australia. So Outdoorsy um, entered the Australian market a few years ago. And last time I checked their platform, they had like uh, three, three or 400 RVs in total in the whole country uh, to rent in Australia. So, I mean, Campify is like 10 to 15 times bigger than they are. Um, in Australia. So um, yeah, not sure if, it, you know, how well it would go if Campify entered the US, but I know Outdoorsy couldn't make it work uh, in Australia. I mean, they're still there, but not not relevant in my opinion. Uh, but I mean, the, the competition for this company comes in two forms and we kind of touched on it, right? The first one's your traditional RV rental companies, uh, the biggest ones in the Australian market are Apollo Tourism and Tourism Holdings. Uh, Tourism Holdings is actually based in New Zealand, but they, I mean, they just don't have enough RVs. Like they, they both, those two companies have less than 3000 RVs to rent combined. Campify has more than double that. Uh, so, uh, and if you look at some of the customer reviews for the traditional rental car company, uh, rent, uh, rental RV companies, they're, they're hampered by like, you know, availability hours, um, pricing and the reviews are not very favorable. Um, whereas most of the reviews for Campify are, are, are quite high in the platform. And then, um, if you, you know, look at things like Trustpilot, it's like a 4.6. So pretty, pretty highly reviewed product. Um, what's interesting with the traditional companies is that, uh, the, Campify's two largest competitors are actually planning to merge. So Apollo Tourism and Tourism Holdings are actually have a merger uh, planned. Uh, so um, that kind of shows you like they need scale on their own to really compete. And as part of that, uh, uh, Tourism Holdings is spinning off their, their peer-to-peer uh, sites. So they had a, a few peer-to-peer sites that competed uh, with Campify that now Campify is buying. 
at a very good, uh, very good price. Um, to make things even more weird, uh, Apollo Tourism is actually Campify's largest shareholder. So, okay. like, basically, their management was super smart. A few years ago, they said, okay, listen, I don't want to get airbnb right? Like, I can't have a peer-to-peer site or platform destroy my business. And they were really smart, really proactive and visionary to make this a big investment in Campify. So, um, I think moving forward, it... it I don't think the traditional RV rental companies are really going to be Campify's competition. Uh, in fact, uh, with tourism holdings, like they, they're already talking about um, having tourism holdings manage some of the, uh, do some servicing and kind of do managed services for RV uh, owners on Campify, where like they would take care of uh, getting customers, servicing the vehicles, delivering the vehicles, and the owner just pays a higher take rate to basically do nothing, right? So um, that's the first form of competition. The second form is other like other peer-to-peer marketplaces like Outdoors that you mentioned. Uh, there's a couple in Australia. There's a lot in, in the EU, but uh, ultimately it's just about how many listings you have. And, and the, in Australia, none of them really have that scale um, in terms of number of listings uh, to compete with Camplify. So that's what it looks like from a competition standpoint. I think when you think about, okay, what's, what's the moat for this company? I think uh, premium memberships can provide a moat where you got to be exclusive to Campify. I think the company's like consumer focus and focus on RV owners where they're doing things to make it easy for RV owners, right? Uh, they're, they have extra services like GPS trackers, right? They're facilitating van sales. Uh, early in their history, they helped clarify some of the tax laws in Australia around kind of renting out your your RV. So um, I just think if they maintain that customer or consumer focus, especially with the with the owners, like they'll they'll continue to gain that loyalty um, and, and trust. And so ultimately, like you got to have the the owners on the on the site. And so um, they've already had a you know obviously have a head start uh, on the number of listings and. Uh, I think that network effect will continue as long as they can uh, ma- retain and attract those RV owners. I find it funny that <clears throat> Apollo's management team just basically like left their pride at the door and said, if we lose, we're at least going to own Camplify. Um, I have a question. Have you ever used a product like this, whether it's outdoorsy or uh, I guess Turo is kind of similar? Uh, I've used Airbnb a, a lot, um, but uh, I'm not really into RVing myself, and so I'm not the right consumer. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've used kind of peer-to-peer uh, sites, and uh, as long as you do like good vetting of the hosts and or the owners, like I feel like it would work. Obviously, there's a risk uh, of bad actors being on the platform, uh, and so. Uh, Campify and, and a lot of this competition, they'll offer things like, you know, roadside assistance, 24 hour hotline to make it easy. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Uh, what are, what are some of the key metrics that you're looking at to kind of track Campify, uh, as, as these years go on? Um, yeah. So number of RVs on the platform, they have to continue to, to grow that. Um, the web traffic is one, uh, percent repeat customers um 
you know, what, how much their business is coming from repeat. That's really important to me. Uh, and obviously like your, your financial matchups, right? Like gross, gross transaction volume, take rate, uh, revenues. Uh, but yeah. Okay. And we've gotten, you know, we talked very positively about Campify. There's always a negative, you know, negative aspect to any investment. What is one big risk to Campify's investment that you think, and maybe a little fun one, do you think this is a target for Airbnb to potentially acquire? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, biggest risk, I think, is the repeat rate, like frequency of use. Uh, right now, they're getting a little over 20% of their bookings from repeat customers. Um, so they're definitely going to have to uh, bring that up. Uh, otherwise, they're just continue to not have leverage on their marketing expenses. Uh, so uh, more repeats good. Um, I did, I just think from a cons- consumer behavior standpoint, I don't know how often folks will be using Campify. Like, like Airbnb, for example, right? Hotel occasions are pretty common, right? Like just business travel, even personal travel. Like it, it's a pretty high frequency usage, in my opinion. RVs, I don't know, like max one, a few times a year that you're going on these type of vacations. I, again, I'm not the target consumer. I'm just trying to think through like what the max frequency would be. And I don't know, but all I do know, I, what I do know is it's lower than something like Airbnb, right? So that's, that's something to watch out for. Um, I think like Airbnb in their S1, they said they got like 70% of the bookings from repeat customers. So Campify is at 20 uh, obviously Airbnb has been around much longer and they've had years to build that up, but, um, yeah, that the frequency of use is definitely something to watch out for, uh, for Campify. Uh, hopefully they can get, uh, continue to build that up over time. Um, as the, as the, as people get used to, uh, renting on their platform. Yeah. The only, th- not that you asked me for my take, but I mean, I, I would think that Airbnb could maybe lump it into like their experiences segment because I know they're trying to push that. Yeah, but it would be a bit different because experiences like during the day, this would be probably part of the bookings because you're taking it for an overnight for weeks okay. at a time or a week probably at a time. So I think that they could really, la- they could either way, they could launch it as a product. I, oh yeah. Yeah. I didn't even answer your question like on the Airbnb acquisition, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it could be a target. I just think like, I mean, you can rent an RV on Airbnb, no problem. I don't know if you can take it anywhere, but there are like camper van stays and things like that. Um, I just think that you're going to have to focus a lot of time on the, on the consumer insights and consumer behavior and recruiting these RV owners. And it's kind of a sideshow for a company like Airbnb, Airbnb, where they're addressable market with, you know, disrupting hotels. In my opinion, so big, it's like why mess around, you know, with with the RV space. But right. you know, when companies stop growing, they all they they do all sorts of things that we can't predict. So perhaps one day when they're you know more mature and stop growing, uh, they they might go into this space. Um, but yeah, I just think it's a very niche niche space that requires a lot of. It's not like I think the learning curve is pretty high to to get entrenched into the RV industry and RV culture, um, where I just don't think someone like Airbnb would mess around with it at, at this moment. What would have to happen for you to sell Camplify? Or is it kind of like you're just riding it out to see, since you mentioned it's kind of a VC style bet? Yeah, I haven't thought about that too much. Like, 
if it goes to zero, I'm okay with that. I just based on how, how I've sized it. Um, but obviously I'm, I'm hoping this is a home run, a multi-bagger, uh, as they say, but, uh, I think any slowdown in the listings of RVs is a, is a kind of a red flag, um, inability to expand into, uh, new countries. Right. So they entered Spain recently, right? If they, if they have to exit one of these countries, the, the whole thesis kind of falls apart where, like, in my opinion, this is a, a platform that could, should be able to easily scale regardless of, um, you know, language barriers or things like that. Obviously, they, they've invested in local uh, employees and local staff, but it should be a very scalable platform, similar to how Airbnb has gone global, right? So I've, I think those are the two, I guess, red flags to me is slowing RV listings and um, kind of exiting a market just because they couldn't make it. Um, so, right, and they haven't exited a market. That's a potential. No, no, they haven't. Yep. Okay, yeah, they haven't exited. Yep. Perfect. Okay, I think that's all our questions. Do you have any more, Brett? All right. Well, that's going to do it. Uh, where can listeners find you if they want to hear more from you? Yeah. So I'm on Twitter at a uh, zippy dash or underscore capital. So zippy underscore capital, and then. Um, if anyone's on Michael Cap Club, I'm also the same username, Zippy underscore capital. So that's where you can find me. Perfect. Nice. Microcap Club. Exciting. Yeah, this was, uh, I wrote this one up for them. So uh, it's kind of, yeah, uh, community of investors there. So if you guys, you know, any listeners haven't checked that out, definitely encourage you guys to um, take a look. All right. Well, I think it's going to do it. Uh, appreciate everyone listening. Uh, want to remind you that we are not financial advisors. Brett and I are not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. 